At every ARBA convention, we're greeted by a banner that reads, For five days, you don't have to explain to anyone why you raise rabbits. Our hobby sometimes raises eyebrows. You show what? But once you step inside, you'll discover a world full of passionate, interesting people all working toward the ultimate goal, best in show. What can I do for you? Well, I'm looking for a white rabbit. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. If I were looking for a white rabbit, I'd ask the Mad Hatter. Okay, rabbit, you force me to use force. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice, tumbling down the rabbit hole. Hi everyone, this is Alan Messick with Best in Show, and I'm joined, of course, every episode by the lovely, talented Bryony Smith. Bryony, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm warming up, for which I'm grateful. I don't mean to rub this in, but I was working outside all day in a t-shirt today. <laughs> hey, yesterday it was almost 70 degrees here, which was um, about 70 degrees higher than it was the week before. So <laughs> <laughs> it felt like a heat wave. How can it be that bipolar? It's Kansas. It's Kansas. I'm going to Texas this weekend where they had that massive ice storm last weekend. And I'm going for goat stuff. But I said to my friend, I'm like, are you sure you want me to come? Don't you have like down power lines and people without running water? And she's like, uh, no, we fixed our stuff, but the rest of the state is still a disaster zone. Yeah, this has been incredible. Um, I was looking back and here it has not been this cold this long since I was two years old, obviously long before my rabbit days. So a lot of people are, you know, just kind of learning how to care for their animals in this weather for the first time. And it's been a challenge. Um, what, what are you doing in your barn that's different than a normal winter? Well, our barn isn't heated. Um, cool. It's enclosed. It's insulated. Um, we actually have flaps that we can put down. We, in South Central Kansas, we build for summer. We build for heat. Um, normal winter, crocs freeze maybe once or twice in the winter. Um, so we, of course, put the flaps down. The insulation does help. It keeps the rabbit's body heat in. Um, and I just ended up stuffing a lot of cages with straw. So it was a giant poopy mess <laughs> to clean all that out yesterday. But the rabbits are happy and warm and you do what you got to do. Yeah, exactly. And it sounds like you use Crocs, so you don't have an automatic watering system. Correct. Um, because of the weather, I don't. Crazy stuff. I, 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 Of course, I grew up in the East Coast in New England where it was bitter cold. And when I got 19, I got my Volvo and I headed west where the sun shines every day of the year. And <laughs> I said goodbye to frozen Crocs. I, 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 I don't know how you guys do it. And when how many, you, have, you have a number of rabbits. Like This is a, a chore when it's frozen, correct? Yeah, I have actually a fairly small rabbitry. I have 54 cages. So I found out that the easiest thing to do when you're thawing crocs is just load, you know, a third to a half of them in uh, a bucket at the time, bring them in, set in the laundry room, go to work, um, come back over lunch, throw the ice pucks out of those, clean them out, throw them back in, bring another group in, let them thaw while I'm at work in the afternoon, come home, rinse, repeat. Uphill both ways, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and do you use aluminum Crocs or ceramic Crocs or plastic? Um, I've been doing this long enough. I kind of have a mixture. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I, I prefer the aluminum or the plastic. They're a lot easier to thaw out and they don't break as easily. Um, the ceramic crocs can be a little bit more fragile, um, but that gentle warming of just sitting in the house rather than like pouring hot water in them or trying to heat them with, you know, hairdryer or something does help to keep them in a bit better shape. So having two sets of china is very effective for a dinner party in the middle of winter. Exactly. <laughs> um, I've even right. heard of people going to like the thrift store and buying mugs just for use in the winter. Um, really? And they, yeah, like they wire them to the cage mm-hmm. and, you know, you can get tons of them for a few dollars um, and then use those in the winter and switch them out. And if they break, no big deal. Exactly. You just go get another pile for a dollar. That's interesting. I, I am a big fan of aluminum Crocs. Like I said, I've never lived in the last 20 years where it freezes. But when I do Crocs here, aluminum Crocs, like if I drop them on the cement, like they, they're good to go. So I, I imagine they're equally as effective when it, when it freezes um, in a deep, deep freeze, like what you guys are going through right now. They are. Um, I actually love those for convention. I haul those to coop shows, which they're really heavy. I know. They're so heavy. <laughs> but I can't break them. And, you know, the feed bowls fit inside the water bowls and the rabbits can't tip them. You know, those coops, it's kind of hard to latch something onto it. Absolutely. Um, I may have to adopt that. Yeah, I usually bring a fairly small entry. So, yeah, so it works. All right, cool. So you're freezing. I'm not. Um, Anything else going on in in your life? Are you judging any any personal highlights going on? Um, I did just get back from a show in Illinois. Um, I heard about that one. I ended up having to leave early because the storm was coming and I was the farthest west of anyone who drove. Um, And you drove all the way there. Yeah. So I um, jetted out at about one o'clock and I did beat the snow home. Um, we had a really good time. I think when the highlights for everyone was on Saturday, and I missed this, but I had seen the rabbit the night before, a Harlequin won best of the best. It was several of us said, and I agree, that it was the best one we'd ever seen. So it is always so cool to see you know, quality in a breed like that that isn't maybe always as competitive for best in show. I love that. I heard the same thing and I saw the picture and I was blown away when I, when I was, when I heard the results, cause that's like the first question, right? You ask if you're not at a big show like this, you're like, okay, so what won best in show? And uh-huh. I, I mean, someone's like, oh, it was a Harlequin. I'm like, all right, guys, really? Come on. Tell me the truth. <laughs> yeah. What really won best in show? And they're like, no, Alan, really a Harlequin won best in show. And, and then I saw it. I'm like, okay, is it mag or Japanese? And it was a, it was a gorgeous, was it a black mag? Or yeah. sorry, a black, yeah, black mag. Yeah, yeah, beautiful black mag, um, junior doe. She was solid. She was firm. Um, she alternated on the front end. She, her feet alternated. Um, just really, really beautiful animal. You know what struck me about the photo I saw were the complete bands around her body. Yes, they they were not only complete, but they were they were nearly symmetrical, and they shared her body in a way I've never seen a harlequin do before. I mean, yeah, she did all the alternations, which is even harder to do, but. I thought her bands were like textbook, um, you know, save that photo kind of thing in your archives. Because if you want to know what banding is on Harlequin, what the heck it means, that one actually did it. Yeah. Yeah. She's beautiful. And I did uh, request that her owner bring her to the photography booth at convention. <laughs> we Excellent want, idea. We want her photo in the archives for the standards committee. I love it. All right. So speaking of standards committee and what's going on uh, in the ARBA, that's a, a big, a big thing this year. We've talked about it in our first episodes. Um, and in your huge role in it, um, you want to tell us a little bit what, about what's going on in, in the standard world? Sure. Um, well, the first thing, of course, is the new standard has come out. So if you have not picked up a copy of the 2021 to 25 standard of perfection, I would suggest doing that. You can either order a um, paperback copy from the Airbnb office. You can also download a copy 
on the ARBA app. Um, I actually, I get both because, you know, I have to look at it daily and get questions when I'm on the run. Um, the good thing about the ESOP is that it updates um, any changes or corrections. If any new varieties or breeds are added, that's automatically added to the ESOP. So, so that means we, to, we don't have to wait five years. You don't have to wait five years. And you don't have to stuff your book full of paper. I love that. Um, cool. So I, yeah, I highly recommend this for judges, registrars, even youth contest participants, just have all of the, the latest information right at your fingertips. Um, so there cool. have, yeah, um, there have been some changes in this standard. I think the big across the board one is with brokens. There's now a consistent DQ for rabbits showing a Charlie or a booted pattern. And those are the, the very extremes of broken. We're no longer looking at color percentages and these apply to every breed. I love so, that. When I heard, when I first heard about this advent for the upcoming standard, you know, it was, I think maybe I heard about it two years ago. I thought this is the most brilliant move maybe the ARB has ever, ever taken because that broken pattern percentage, I mean, you've been there at those judges conferences where, you know, people will bring pelts or, or, or some kind of photo. And it's, that there's such a gray area between what's 10%, what's 50%. Is it on the body? Does it include, you know, parts of the face? It's, it's incredibly hard to define and it becomes entirely too subjective. And as a judge, you know, you've been there. It's like, okay, is this one or not? So I think that this is a really avant-garde move and it's just, it's going to change. It's going to change judging. Um, it's going to change focus. And I think that, cause how many times have you seen like those heavy pattern broken mini arcs, for example, that are awesome, but they've just, too much yet they're not booted or they're not charlie they're they're just a little bit too heavy or a little bit too light oh that that was the breed that came to mind um and i've seen these rabbits and it's not uncommon for them to win best of breed on one table because they're an outstanding animal and then get dq'd on another because they are very heavily patterned um i know anytime i saw one that had a lot of color on the head a lot of color in the body i turn it over and think no 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 and hope right. i didn't see anything on the belly because that was you know kind of always my indicator if they're very very heavy on the head or the on the back, then any color in the belly was kind of what would tip it over, in my opinion. Um, but it's also subjective. And, it's so subjective. And I really like this because we know what a Charlie is. We know what a booted is. Um, most breeders aren't going to even think about putting that on the table. No, and they wouldn't have in the past. I mean, but but even now, and it's it, a booted or a, a Charlie. It's not indicative of broken at that point. It's it's extreme on both ends of the spectrum. Um, but it gives those those heavier pattern rabbits, which oftentimes can be very, very good. Um, you know, it's, it's, it gives them their time to shine and their, their, their day, their, their day in court, which so many of them have deserved. Oh, um, absolutely. And, and been disqualified over the years. So hats yeah. off to you and the, and the committee for, um, getting behind that and making it more universal. I mean, really universal for the entire standard for rabbits. Yeah. Um, that was a decision I kind of came in on the middle of, but it's well, well past time for this. It's so cool. So we're going to talk about standards later. And I think that the standard, um, is actually going to be a recurring theme in this podcast. That's episode four, by the way. Um, but, uh, before we get to the standard, let's go into maybe a little this time in, and it also reverts back to the standard. So you and I talked about, Hey, what, what dates are we going to do for this time? in? that's our historical piece for this podcast. And Brian and I are both kind of gurus and, and we call each other like rabbit nerds and we love to geek out on, on old stuff and old publications. So we decided that this episode would be focused on the uh, standard of perfection uh, based between 2001 and 2005. And I, Brian, I think you've got a piece in here about um, some, some of the time leading up to that. So what we would have dealt with um, in 2020 when it comes to like those months before the standard is released and, uh, and the prep to you know, get the word out that the standard's out and these these big changes that are going to be coming. So for me, that 
2001, 2005 SOP. It was, it was an important one for me. I actually have it on my bookshelf here in my little, my little podcast office. And I believe, and maybe you can back me up on this one. I don't remember for sure, but I believe this was the first spiral bound standard of perfection. It was, yes. So that means, remember the old ones, like they were books and you couldn't ever lay them open on a table because they would just fold back in on itself. Unless you bought the hardback, which was like $10 more expensive and you hated it even more when it got peed on at a show. <laughs> yeah, it was stolen because it was more expensive. Like, yeah, exactly. So um, we're going to focus on on that time period in Rabbits in the ARBA. Um, but first, I want to bring some current events from that time period. So I decided to look at March 2001. Uh, for what was going on in the world. And I was shocked to find out that the British livestock epidemic, which kind of goes hand in hand with what we're dealing with today with coronavirus, uh, was in March. And that was foot and mouth disease in the UK. Um, it reached crisis levels and the government intensified efforts to eradicate it. And including the US, which banned meat from Europe on March 13th, and that blocked animals and animal products after the foot and mouth disease spread from Britain and then into France. So I, I remember that time very, very vividly because, you know, we're like, what's foot and mouth, you know, and, and, you know, is this going to get worse? And so, of course, things have changed now. But um, and then uh, in California, when I first moved out here, that was actually in in O2, we were dealing with something that started in March of 2001. That was rolling blackouts. I don't know if you know what those are, but that's when they turn the power off to save energy uh, so that there's enough energy for everyone to everyone to survive. So uh, I think that Texas might actually be the be the place in this in this month that knows more about power outages than anyone else but uh, with all those storms that just happened but rolling blackouts were a thing in california in march of 2001 um so but back to the rabbit side of it and history um during that 2001 2005 standard we said was the first spiral bound there were only 45 breeds of rabbits recognized by the arba so that means we didn't have the argent brun we didn't have mini satin we didn't have Lionhead, Trianta, or the, the 50th breed, which just was recognized this past fall, the Dwarf Papillon. So it's it's hard to imagine our standard without Lionheads, for example, or, or Mini Satins. They seem like they've been around for a long time. But back in 2001 to 2005, that standard did not include those breeds. I believe Triantas were recognized in 2001. But as you said earlier, um, the standard isn't updated in, in page and in, in print until the next version comes out. So for example, Trianta was something you glued into your standard when they became recognized interim between the publication of the O1 uh, standard and, and its and its conclusion. Um, back then, there were 13 ARBA KV breeds, which we still have today. Um, there were lots of different uh, varieties that were not recognized. And I, I like to geek out on this because Broken, as we just talked about, such a momentous and, uh, and, and um, important variety across our standard. Broken Britannia Petites were not recognized yet. Chinchilla Dutch, Chocolate, and Blue Door Photos. Uh, believe it or not, Havana's and Broken were not recognized, and they've actually won Best in Show at convention since. Uh, Lilac Havanas, of course, were one of the newer ones, too. Um, we think about Holland Lops having the, one of the most recognized color groups in our standard. Otters were not acceptable then. They were not. I think Heather Odebastian was still working on that presentation at, at the time, but during that standard, they were not included in the Holland Lop standard. And then on the Minirex side of things, Otter, believe it or not, as well, Siamese Sable and Blue-Eyed White were not Minirex recognized varieties. Um, this standard, honestly, I hadn't opened it up in a long time. Um, so I was thumbing through it to prepare for this podcast and I got to page 205 and I actually found, um, a handwritten note that I wrote on 1143 PM in May of 2001. I had just finished studying and writing and taking notes on my standard because it was just like weeks before taking my registrar's license. So I found this note. It said 1143 PM on May, 2001, uh, page 205. I just finished reading and taking notes on the standard. Yes. Hooray. 
my test is in four days, not two weeks. And I feel like I should be reading this whole thing again. And I was like, ah, you know, cause it's such a, it's such a big book and we love it of course, but it's, it's a lot to study for if you're going to, um, you know, work on your registrar's license. And that was right before I decided, you know what, maybe we need a study guide for this thing because there's nothing, <laughs> nothing huge that we can really uh, turn to for, for uh, study material. So that's what I've got for history. What do you have for history, Bryony, when it comes to that time period? Well, first of all, you were smart to wait until the new standard came out to take your test. Um, I actually did the same with a 96 to 2000 standard. Um, I studied all the changes and then took my registrar's test. Um, but yeah, you're right. This was the last standard where we had 45 breeds, the last of three standards. Um, both Triana's and Mini Satins were officially recognized um, following passing a third presentation at the 2005 convention. You're right, yes. And um, before that, the last breeds, new breeds were accepted in 1988. And that's Crazy. a question for all of our listeners out there. Um, come see us on Facebook and tell us what those breeds were. I'll give you a hint. There are multiple. I love it. So 17 years without any new breeds. Um, what I've been told, I need to research this a little bit more, was that after that, the process was tightened up a little bit. Um, hmm. I, think, I think it scared people a little that that many new breeds came in. So I pulled out um, the DR from November, December 2000, when this standard was just coming out. It was first for sale at the Columbus ARBA convention in 2000. Um, we kind of laughed about a little tidbit there the other day. We remember Bruce and Tamsin Ormsby getting married at that convention. <laughs> we vividly remember that, yes. <laughs> I think I was watching that as I was like unloading and cooping my Dutch. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was during opening ceremonies, wasn't it? it was I think so. Early on in the convention, yeah. Yeah, I was like, it was. Wow, people get married at these things? That was my... That was my third convention. So I was still really new and everything was like really like, oh my God, I can't believe my convention. Look at all these rabbits. Oh my God, there's every breed here. Uh, yeah. And then, wow, people get married at convention. Yeah, that was fun. Um, I looked at the standards committee report and the big sweeping change in this standard was the implementation of minimum weights for every breed. Um, this was something that we'd never had a minimum age, minimum weight before. Um, of course, some breeds specified pre-junior classes, um, but this really laid out the absolute bare minimum weight to bring an animal to the show. And that was a huge change. It was a huge change. Um, we didn't often see little tiny babies, but I think it was, um, you know, partly to discourage that, partly to to let people know that shows are for animals that are ready to compete. Um, it's not necessarily um, intended for the judge to call your rabbits when they're young. Every breed develops differently. You're usually better off asking a breeder about that. Um, but it's also just, you know, it shows people that, you know, we care about the welfare of our animals and we want to leave them at home until they're old enough to be out and about. I think that gives our, our industry a good face too. I mean, if we ever had to, you know, justify some of our habits, I think that having that minimum weight there says like, no, we, we first and foremost think about the welfare of these rabbits and caveys. Um, because, you know, if, if, if they're mistreated, they don't, they don't do well. And, and then, and then that's a bad, that's a bad face for, for breeders. And as, as we become more and more of a, a suburban culture and we, we face more and more laws and, and, things that keep us from from breeding and doing what we love um these kind of admins that, that took back 20 years ago i think did us a favor yeah oh absolutely um so i flipped on over because we have the show reports from the 2000 convention and in the open show best in show was in new zealand that was owned by william guardhouse an exhibitor from ontario canada so cool 
Group one was won by a Havana owned by Brad and Katie Boyce, who went on to win two best in shows with their Havanas at ARBA conventions. One being a broken, I believe, in 2000 was the Portland convention. Uh, yeah, that would have been 2015. The first was so cool. 2002 in Peoria with a black. I remember. Yeah. Um, group two was won by a Mini Rex owned by Fibber McGeehy. Um, a lot of us were surprised to see Fibber with Mini Rex, let alone winning best of breed Mini Rex. Right. Top um, of his game at all times. He was famous for his Florida Whites, and he also won Best and Best Opposite Florida White at this convention. Wow. Crazy. Uh, group three winner was a New Zealand. Group four winner was a Dutch owned by Stan Gagline of Indiana. I remember her. She was a lovely grado. Um, I looked at the Youth Contest Awards, and I thought it was really interesting that a couple of our winners are still very active in rabbits. Our um, queen in 2000 was Michelle Updegraft from Washington, now Michelle Shea. Um, she is part of a rabbit family. Her mother is a judge, and I believe her husband has just gotten his judge's license, too. So that's very much a family affair for them. Our king in 2000 was Jeremy Collins from Arizona. Um, Jeremy took a little bit of a rabbit hiatus around his college years, but has recently come back. He has been breeding some outstanding Netherland dwarfs. He, um, one of his actually was the most recent inductee into the Netherland Dwarf Hall of Fame. He's the president of that club. Um, so it just goes to show that you can take a little college hiatus from rabbits and come back strong. Good advice. Someone said to me a long time ago, actually it was Cindy Wickheiser. She said, Alan, rabbits will always be there. So uh, a hiatus does not mean that you can't come back and you can't come back with a bang. And he certainly has done so. Oh, absolutely. And I've told kids this too. Rabbits are always there. You don't get your college years back. That's It's a nice, um, you know, it's a time when you're surrounded by potential friends who are at your same phase of life and it's easy to meet people and you have, you know, somewhat of a lack of responsibilities that you do when you get a little bit older. So totally. Anything more from your history side? Um, that was what I had for this episode. Um, there was also a, a little ad in the back for the 2001, a rabbit odyssey, the first convention held in San Diego. I remember that one. <laughs> that was California rabbit and KV shows, uh, very first convention in 01. And, uh, I had moved out. I, I went, I, I, tra I traveled there as well, uh, by plane. It was right after nine 11. It was a scary time. Um, yeah, crazy stuff. And now look at us now we're <laughs> putting on all these conventions. So yeah, great, great, uh, take back in time. And I, and I know you're going to bring us some more standard stuff in a little bit when it comes to, uh, our education side. So I love that. All right. Well, and now it is time to introduce our guest and get on to, um, I guess, the meat of this episode. Today, we have with us Jason Karwaski. And Jason has been instrumental recently in setting up a new club and getting some shows going. This has been a challenge for us in this industry with COVID-19, with RHD. Um, a lot of clubs have had to postpone or cancel shows, but a lot of people have also stepped up and found a way to make it happen. So, Jason, thank you for joining us today. Um, can you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and why you chose to get into rabbits? Oh, um, okay. I was actually, I'm from Minnesota and was kind of laughing when you guys were doing the introduction about your cold experience. Cause I like, we do that every day, but I went and heated my barn a few years ago. So I don't have to deal with the ice, but, um, I got into rabbits when I was a kid and then I took a little break and did poultry. And then when bird flu sprung up i got back into rabbits because i was like what could i do for a whole entire year without showing mm. and then i did really well in my first show i got best of breed with a flemish giant i bought and bred and was kind of hooked ever since then so and then three years later i decided that we needed a new club in the metro area of the cities of minnesota and 
we started a rabbit and kiwi breeders anonymous club. I love it. And so you were, um, this is crazy that to think that a pandemic, I guess it's like a recurring nightmare, yeah. um, got you into rabbits. Yeah. That's, that's funny. Cause you know, you guys were talking about, you know, hoof and mouth and that coming over. I was like, wow, this is kind of like a 10 year cycle. It seems like. Right. But what's interesting is that what's inspired you and really why we want to talk to you today is about your your progressive work to make shows happen when they can't. Um, It's it's pretty cool that at that time it was, in fact, a pandemic and birds that kept you from doing it and and got you into rabbits. So I'm not grateful for the bird flu, but uh, (laughs) we're we're certainly glad to have you in rabbits and in caveys. Well, you know, when this, you know, RHVD and the uh, COVID happened, I was like, we need to keep having shows happening because I saw so many pigeon and chicken groups die without having any shows because, you know, people lose interest. So I tried to get some of the local clubs to do some shows and they were all like, no, we're going to wait and see if someone else does it. And I was like, well, someone's got to be the adult in the room or an adult in the hobby and start a show. So I worked with my fairgrounds and got some like-minded people that were willing to front up the money to get a show started because they're not cheap to start. And uh, we said, we're either going to make it or we're going to fail miserably. I love it. So what are some of those upfront costs, by the way, that, that go into, you know, putting on a show? Um, you know, getting judges flown in or, uh, hall rentals, uh, food, you know, getting food done. It's all the little stuff you don't think about you need, but it's like, you know, we want to make sure we have some money in the treasury for some show tables and we need some money in the, for this. And, you know, our, luckily my county fairgrounds is really affordable to us members that live in the county. So our barn rentals only like $200. So it was like, well. That's so cheap. Right. I just was with <laughs> another club that they uh, decided to cancel. And I heard about their barn rental. I was like, you can rent like my whole fairgrounds for that much. Incredible. You should <laughs> oh, you should see what it's like out here. Oh, I, I've yeah. been talking to clubs now. And I mean, I've been talking to small business about, you know, restaurants, how expensive stuff is. So I've my fairgrounds is willing to work with us and grow. So I was like, let's do it. So I got, and you know, five or six people together and we made a club. Amazing. So, so you, did you start from like ground zero? You had no money, no treasury and you no. still were able to pull it off. We, uh, from start to finish, we were able to start a club to a show within 60 days. That's 60 incredible. Days? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> that really is. Yeah. So anyone can do this, right? Oh, anyone. I mean, I'll be honest, I have dyslexia and ADD, and if I can figure it out, anybody <laughs> should be able to. Yeah, yeah, like sounds like you have a lot of things working against you, and you, you're still able to pull it off. I've never heard a club start and sh- and host a show in 60 days. That's, that's remarkable. Not to toot our own horn, but it was the largest show in Minnesota history in the last seven years. Incredible. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, and thank so you for inspiring us. Let's uh, start at the very beginning here. Um, you got a few people together. What are the first steps to starting a club, for those who might not be familiar with that? Um. I, I was thinking about starting a club already, so I was I sat back at shows and I looked for people that were willing to help, willing to volunteer without getting the credit. People that were like willing to try new stuff. Because no offense to the small animal hobby or animal hobby in general, we have the saying that we use that we've never done that before, mm-hmm. and that seems to stop a lot of people. Like you know, you join a club, you say, "Can we do this?" We've never done that before. So I went and found people that were trying to get in the clubs and you know, make the hobby go. So I went and recruited them and we got just what Arbo required was the president, the vice president, the treasurer and secretary we divided and then three more board members. And then we went and you know, made up our constitution and our bylaws. And I'll be honest, we went and pulled a bunch of people's bylaws and constitution off and made it our own. 
Very cool. That's legit. <laughs> and that's an ominous task, honestly. If you don't have a law experience, which I certainly didn't, but I've had to step in and help some clubs in Asia get get their feet off the ground when it came to uh, creating clubs. And I'm like, I don't know what this stuff means, but I think, Brandon, maybe you can back me on this. The ARBA will supply you with so, sort of a template, uh, CBNL or Constitution of Bylaws, if you, you start on this endeavor, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Um, or at least, you know, something you use to work from. Um, and most clubs have very similar constitution and bylaws. You know, there's things about members, meetings, um, dues, things of that nature. Um, so it's always, you know, like so many things, we start from templates. We start from best practices, um, maybe clubs are part of and change it as we need to do that. Totally. Um, Jason, when you started that CBNL, that constitution and bylaw, um, what were some of the things that you decided or not to do? For example, um, you know, one of the debated topics is whether or not to actually have, uh, you know, club meetings every month or or, or biannually or, or not at all. You know, what did you decide? Well, since we were in a pandemic, you know, a lot of clubs are saying we can't have meetings because we're required to have meetings in person. We put that our board of directors in a government pandemic has the right to con- continue the business of the hot, of the club. So our board of directors can make decisions for the club to keep shows going without having everyone in person or try to get everyone on a conference call. So cool. Yeah. And then once it's you... 2020, when we started this, let's, let's make the technology available to us. Exactly. There couldn't be a worse year to start it. And why not uh, use some, use some templates from our society to, to make it go. And then Are you yeah, doing... and... Like we divided our, uh, our treasurer cannot be related or living with anyone else that's on a board of directors. Just cause that financial thing is such a huge thing to fill that we wanted to make sure that you know two board members weren't living together saying oh we should buy pizza tonight for our board meeting and then mm-hmm. so we, we added some stuff we took some stuff out but that's something well, that you know you go through as a group and decide on what you want to do well and that treasure position is that's a great topic that you brought up i mean it is a, it's a fragile one it's one that's that can be debated and um or become problematic but i think going into it and being you know, open and transparent about it and then and just ultimately being safe. I mean, yep. that just protects, even if nothing will ever go on in any kind of shady manner, uh, it looks really good on paper. I mean, yep. you guys have done your, your job to make sure that and that. And what we did too was any two club members can subpoena or ask for, however the politically correct term would be, for a the statement of, you know, where we are for finances at any time because lots of times, you know, you only hear about it once or twice a year, maybe four times if you have a really active group. So, Everybody thinks anything shady. Just you gotta get one other member to say, "Hey, I want to see the finances and where's all our money going and coming from." Very well, that's cool. a really great idea, especially since, like you mentioned, that some of these funds originally came from members, not necessarily yeah. from fundraisers, but but directly from people's pockets. Yeah, and we wanted to make sure that everyone that joined the club from now on, knock on wood, that will be an old club in a hundred years and still around. And we wanted to make sure that people felt safe with their money in our checking account. That's, That's great. Very cool. Everyone appreciates that. Now, do you you said you you mentioned members? One of the allowances with the Constitution and Bylaws when you create a, a club with ARB is whether or not to have a membership base. So it sounds like you opted to have a, a membership. Now, do members pay to be members of your club? Yeah, we uh, made sure that you had to pay, and we made you know a lot of clubs you don't have to be ARBA members, but we decided everyone in our club had to be a ARBA member. And then if you want to be on the board of directors, you needed to belong to Minnesota, which is our parent or state organization out here that we send representatives to. So we wanted to make sure that everyone wasn't a pet person or I hate to say it, like an animal activist trying to get in to screw something up. 
Mm-hmm. So we made sure that you were belong to Arba and Minnesota State. And on the flip side, then that encourages people to join the ARBA and join local clubs and maybe even get more involved in the industry uh, beyond your cl- club, correct? Correct. That's what I was trying to go for. I mean, seeing other hobbies die, I wanted to make sure that my club was progressive enough to look to the future and see what we needed and need volunteers. And we don't, You can't have a show if you don't have a club, and you can't have a club if you don't have volunteers. Yeah, <laughs> preaching to the choir, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, when and Brian, I'm sure you, you you are up against the same thing where you are, and, and probably judge shows where they just there's just like no help. Like you know, show like strawberries don't grow in the refrigerator, right? They they have a pathway. These these yep. rabbit and cavy shows don't just appear. Like there's a lot of work and forethought that goes into them. Not not too much that you should ever think that they're too big to do, but um, they don't just appear, right? Correct. Well, and I think, too, um, clubs have changed in the past, you know, 20, 30 years. Um, we can communicate now without needing to go to a club meeting. Um, I know my own club was looking at a change to the Constitution and bylaws because we were having a really hard time getting quorums to our monthly meetings. But there's just so much going on. You know, I am rarely able to attend. A lot of times I'm off judging a show. Um, so, you know, things have changed. Um, a lot of people wonder, why should I be in a club? Or, you know, they, they wonder what value a club adds. And, and I think it's really important to, to realize that it's about jumping in and helping. It's not necessarily about waiting to be invited, but about saying, hey, I can help. What would you like me to do? Totally. And I think on the club side, um, I'm not saying I'm bitter, but, you know, <laughs> you get kind of discouraged when people don't say like, hey, what can I do? Or can I take down some coops? Can I stay a little bit later? But um, there, there is that side from the club side where maybe we should be reaching out to people and be like, Hey, can you stay later? Can, what can you do? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not, wouldn't you say, Jason, you want to describe that culture? Like that, that's not, there, it's not like a click, like when it comes to clubs, like, or in shows, like you, you want living bodies that can do a little bit of work, correct? Correct. I mean, you know, that's what our rabbit readers anonymous is trying to show by leadership, you know, by doing it is that you can help at a show, even if you don't belong as a club member, too. I mean, I love that. I've been at shows before where I get there before when they're setting up, and I'm like, all right, my rabbits can stay in my truck or my trailer for five minutes. I'm going to go help set the tables up. This is my hobby. And I always try to, you know, whenever I'm on Facebook or anything, I always say, this is our hobby. We need to take care of it. Right. And the, the faster that the, the coops get set up, if you jump in there and do that, that's the faster that you can get your rabbits unloaded in, in, the, in the building and, and to, so too for everyone else, right? There, there's nothing worse than trying to set up a show around someone's rabbits that came in at 5 o'clock and you're <laughs> out there until 7 o'clock and you're like, this is where I was going to set up a table. Why are you here before me? Yeah. But it's, it's trying to create that culture about it's our hobby. Let's take care of it. And that's all I'm trying to do up here right now in the upper Midwest is trying to create that culture of, it's our hobby, guys. We need to take care of it. You want shows, you need to come and help. I right. love that. I really love that. Shows aren't put on for us. They're put on by us. Yeah. And I think that that separates us from other livestock and animal industries where they are more commercial. Mm-hmm. And maybe a, maybe a company is, is hosting that club. But in, in rabbits and caveys still, it's it's the breeders that are that are doing it. They're starting it. They're They're putting it on not only for themselves, but for their, for their peers. And yeah. it is all volunteer. Yeah. Yeah. No one gets paid except for maybe one or two people that do show reports, but 
That's and even that, that's a thankless job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It doesn't even pay for what you have to drink afterwards. <laughs> no. <laughs> well said. <laughs> so when it comes to, when it comes to uh, raising funds, you know, um, Brandy's got this question I can see uh, in her forethought. And how did you, you know, go about doing that? Like, I know you said the building costs 200 bucks and, you know, sanctions, they cost, uh, what is it? Is it $25 for a sanction? Yeah, for opening the youth for... Um, you want to ex- ex- yeah, explain what that is? Like, you know, did you have open and youth? Did you have a double show, triple show? Like, what we kind of expenses a- go into it? <laughs> well, we were small when we first started and we were going to just hold, try to hold a specialty because a lot of us... Uh, have a lot of Britannia Petites and Belgian Hairs in our group. So we were like, oh, we'll do a specialty. And then Arba called me. He's like, uh, you can't do that as Albreed Club. You need an Albreed show to have the specialties. So <laughs> that's when the rabbit show started getting canceled because of COVID. So we decided to make an Albreed show. And then I was like, if we're going to do a, one Albreed show and have two specialty shows, why don't we just do two Albreeds opening youth? And then we'll have as many specialties as we have judges for. So I contacted a couple other groups that were thinking about wanting specialties, and I had them pay up front for their rental of our tables. And that's how we created the money for all the specialties. But my mom and I paid for all the hall rental and the open sanctions. So you upfronted the, 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 the initial cost. But I think it was brilliant, though, that you use specialty shows as a means of, you know, foreseeable income, correct? Yep, yep. And, you know, I know a lot, a lot of clubs like to take the – especially as their own to make that money. But I was like, I don't know if this is going to be a flop or not. So I'd rather take, I think we charge each club $75 to host a specialty Saturday night because it was Labor Day weekend. So they came in, we had five or six come in Saturday night. So that was able to pay for our hall rental and have money because we use food trucks for our vendor for food. We don't have a 4-H group. So that was able to give us money for our judges then too. Nice. For lunch. But you got to pay judges. When it comes to the equipment, we haven't talked about that, but um, what equipment did you use for your first show? <laughs> we, uh, I begged another club to let me use it. But but that's that's like a real thing. Like when when these new shows and new clubs come around, it's not it's not out of the spectrum of of possibility to say, hey, existing club, you know, is it possible for you to help us out? I mean, and I think that most clubs that are already founded jump on those opportunities to help someone brand new with a club. Did you find that? No, I didn't find that. The one oh, no. local clubs wanted to charge me five hundred dollars to rent their tables. Wow! So what did you do? I drove three hours one way to a up north club, Heart of the Lakes, and they let me use their stuff for for nothing. And then I drove Amazing. back three hours. So I drove six hours round trip one day to go get tables. Wow, crazy! But yeah, you got to sacrifice to get it going. Definitely, and and you will be forever grateful for that club for what they did. Yeah. Yep, and I mean, I've always told that club if they ever have a show explode when we have equipment. We will bring it up without any questions asked. Absolutely. It, it, quid pro quo. Like, we help each other out. Yeah. That's very cool. And I always thought, you know, like, I'm thinking about kicking around the idea of running for a Minnesota president for Minnesota State Rabbit Breeder Association that I think our board should have to offer one new table out of every board director member. So our, sorry. In Minnesota, our board of directors made of all our local clubs, and I would like to see all our local clubs have to donate a table to any new club for the first two years. I love that idea. I think that's it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's expensive. I mean, we all know we've all bought equipment and cages over the years. We know how cheap or not cheap stuff is for our hobby. Well, and one right. table can be put in someone's truck. It doesn't require a trailer. Correct. And, and it doesn't have to look good. Like you can have a hodgepodge of, of different tables from around the state. They may not be consistent, but they do the same job. Yep. And that's what, you know, we, 
I had one of our old members, Bruce Johnson. He's a Checker Giant breeder over in Wisconsin. He found out we were doing this new show, and he showed up with a table for us that he made especially so cool. for us. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's the magic of this, of this industry, for sure. Yeah. You got some really good people in the hobby, just the one or two that seem to make it like you want to pull your hair out, but then you have <laughs> the 99 other ones that were there to help you. Yeah, absolutely. That's anything in life. <laughs> right? Yeah. They keep you on your toes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we talk about clubs and and what you've done. I mean, really, when you create a club, is the is the is the is the end result of creating a club, you know, to put on a show? I mean, for me, I think that's that's what it is. But but is that what you what your mission was when you when you created this club was to hey let's schedule let's put on some shows? Well, you know, my vision for Mars Club is I want to create a destination show in the Upper Midwest. You know, you got. So the Elliott, Missouri, that seems to put on destination shows. You got the West Coast Classic that seems to put on destination shows. You have Mini Convention that puts on a, a destination show. The Hall of Fame that's a destination show. Nothing never really seemed to be in the upper Midwest. So I want my club and my fairgrounds to be like a destination show where, where we take care of the judges and we take care of the exhibitors that they'll want to come to our show. I love that what you just said, destination show. Yeah. I mean, that's that that is at the heart of these big regional shows. It's a show that people will go hell and high water to get there. Yep, and that's what I want to just do. I mean, we have four huge buildings out at our fairgrounds that I can get for that cheap rate. That why not? We it might suck to you know be like open four class and however how we divide it, but we'll do it and to get it going. And that's one of those things where, you know, once a, a destination show starts in an area, it's kind of like a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, more people get interested in the hobby. Even the smaller local shows tend to have better attendance. It's great for the whole area. Yeah. It's, so, I, it's, it's so reciprocal. Yep. And that's all I want to do is I'm hoping that, you know, we have two more shows planned for this year with possibly the third one to just try to keep going and try to work out some of these little kinks that you don't realize happened as a new club like we didn't think about water and pop for the judges during the day so one of our members had to run and get pop <laughs> water you know you don't even think about it you're like well i bring my own pop wait what's pop soda <laughs> just kidding <laughs> i bet all you people that are down south right now know what pop is it, it's pop i'm, I'm sorry from kansas and it's pop no <laughs> no it's not guys it's soda <laughs> so what were some other things that you um learned from your first show or things that you would do differently next time or recommendations to new clubs for things maybe they wouldn't think about oh wow that's a good question so that was the big one that we screwed up but luckily we we started recruiting members or i started recruiting members for rabbit and cavey breeders is I went and found some old superintendents that have done shows before, so a lot of them were able to catch some of that stuff, but it was just like um, the pop thing. And then what we did, because if you guys have ever been to Minnesota, you know we do a lot of day-of-entry shows. We what does that mean, by the way? I mean, for, for listeners that may not, may not know, pre-entry yeah, versus day-of-show. Day is when you showed up and you'd fill out all those little comment cards with all your name on it, so you would never know how many exhibitors were coming. So... That's like I a big mystery. Yeah, it's a big mystery. I wanted to go straight to pre-registration like every other buddy does on the East and West Coast. Club members fought me on it, and they won with the vote, and they wanted day of entry, but we'd like we compromised, so we went to, instead of a $4 entry, we went to a $6 entry for day of entry, and we thought that would stop a lot of people from coming. Well, a thousand more rabbits showed up. Wow. <laughs> wow. So we were still used to... We were never had sorted 
comic cards and stuff before, so we had to do a lot of entries, so we started late. What does late mean? Like, we were supposed to start judging at 9 o'clock, and we didn't start till 10.15. Okay, so so tell us, like, why would a club decide to do a pre-entry show versus a, um, you know, day of show? What are, what are some of the challenges and then some of the, the positives to either side? Um, it's nice for new people to do day of entry because they don't know if a rabbit's going to be you know, blow its coat or if it's going to be sick or uh, just you don't know what, even if you have no what color of what rabbit you have or what even breed of your rabbit is. What I like about pre-entry is I'm able to see that I hired 10 judges, but I need 14. So I have four more judges I need to try to find so that we're not there at 10 o'clock at night. Now, is that something hard to do in the Midwest where, I mean, in California on the West Coast, we have a, a big geographical divide with the Sierras. Like east of us, there's a big desert. Okay. And it's, so it's not like we're going to have judges maybe at the show exhibiting. So pulling judges for you know like a last minute surplus of entries is, is challenging does that does that resonate for you as well no uh, we well there's another thing you don't realize until you jump into the putting the show on is there's only 10 or 11 judges in minnesota and there's only like seven in illinois i think there's 10 or 12 in wisconsin and we had the majority of them that were willing to judge so we had to contact new judges that just got their license and say we'll give you a dollar a rabbit and we'll fly you in in hotel room and lunch. And that's all we'll, we want to give you. So we had a we had a bunch of judges that just got their licenses flying in at the last minute because we did not know. And then we still had the thousand more rabbits show up the day of. But that, that's not something that's uncommon, you know. And, and I mean, think about it. I, I can't even imagine getting my judge's license right now during COVID when you're, like, so excited. You're like, finally, I got that license. I've worked for so many years to right. do it. And I'm going to judge all these shows. And then there's, like, you know, beep. Beep, right. beep. So I, I can imagine that they replied to you when you said, hey, we'll do this. We're going to give you a buck ahead yep. and pay and for your way out here. But were they excited? They jumped at it and they're like, yeah. I, I got this flight and that will be get me there at either tonight or I can come in tomorrow morning for $100 cheaper. I'm like, no, I want you the night before because I think we're going to get screwed. And, and when I say screwed, I mean, I meant by not planning well enough for the day of entry. And we were still overwhelmed. But luckily, I had a lot of senior judges. I had... A lot of Minnesota judges have been around for a long time, so they could fly through rabbits. But it still was, it went late. We didn't get done cleaning until 10 o'clock our first night. Wow. But I bet with not having shows, I bet people still left going like, thank you so much, right? I mean, I would be so grateful for someone in your area where there weren't shows happening. Like, to, yeah. just to have a show to go to, right? I mean, yeah, tell us about what, what the reaction was, even though you well, went late. People were ecstatic that there were shows. We were getting thank you letters and notes and people calling to thank us. That's so cool. And it was really nice. And then you realize how fast that the thank yous and stuff will go when all the volunteers leave and you're sitting there with your original eight members trying to clean mm -hmm. up everything. But, <laughs> you know, like you said, we built a reputation now. So we have people excited about our June and our May and June show and possibly another September show. And well, before we forget to do this, you want to plug those shows? Like what's going up in Minnesota? You're, you know, tell us your club name, where they're going to be and what those dates are. Rabbit Breeders Anonymous, Rabbit and KV Breeders Anonymous is having a show May 15th. And I got Briny actually coming out with a couple nice. of our, um, standards committee members. And we've been really emphasizing that. Have you ever been thinking about, you know, doing a COD on a color or a COD on a breed? This is the time to come and get your questions answered. Yeah. I have a little pre-check before convention. Yep. You know, so a lot of people are always asking, you know, we have Tiffany Wayne in our club and she just got into, she just got her goal of becoming in the standards committee. So she was getting lots of questions. And I was like, you know, we got Briny and a lot of the other ones have been around a little longer and done standards. Why don't we wait and answer these questions when 
we know we get them answered right for you the first time through. Oh, then, it makes me so happy to hear that. <laughs> um, I, I've just recently seen, um, as you know, because you shared this post, we posted um, some of the new working standards. Mm-hmm. And I've seen all sorts of comments. Well, do you know if or why did they do this? And I'm, I'm like, please ask us. Ask yeah. us. You know, I don't care how new you are. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. We're not people that, you know, you can't just shoot a Facebook message to and say, hey, I have a question. Can you answer this? You know, there are nine of us and we want to to be there. and We want you to have the correct information. So, yes, I think I have five or six of you coming out to judge because I got Tiffany. I'll be there. I have you. I have Andy. Hi. Alan Rafferty, is it? Uh huh. And I got one other one, I think. So, I mean, we have four or five of you that will be able to almost have a mini meeting if you almost wanted to call it that that people could actually answer some questions well you know what's cool what you just said without saying it that rabbit shows and kv shows aren't just there to you know fill the need as a as a as a place to show your animals but as a source of education and knowledge sharing yeah and and you're doing that too like that's i mean if we don't have that more than anything it's not just about getting animals on the table and crossing them and, and winning it's sharing knowledge and inspiring others so hats off to you for for that even bigger picture well, in our May show, we're emphasizing, I think we only have, we have 15 judges hired right now, and only three are from the area, and they were requested to judge our youth, and we brought Dave Cardinal in, because he's our district director, so we brought him in, but everybody else has barely ever judged Minnesota. I think I've only seen, in my four years, Brian up here once or twice, so I mean, we try to get in some judges that breeders don't normally see, so you get the outside opinion because when you only have 10 or 12 judges constantly judging your rabbits, I mean, I can usually place a class while they're doing it with them. Because you know what they like. You're like no, really? No. I'm a psychic. No, we know you are. <laughs> but, 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 so and Brian, don't, don't, don't you travel oh. to those shows, Brian, where we've got like a group of judges you've never seen before that you don't get a chance, except maybe for at a convention, to be exposed to their, their critique? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a draw for members. You know, we love our local judges, but yep. um, it's good to get a perspective from someone who sees different rabbits. And, you know, I sometimes people ask, well, why do you still like to go to shows? You know, you raised rabbits a long time because I like to hear what people think about my rabbits um, from a perspective of looking at the other good ones out there. Absolutely. And I'll admit it, when I, I have Belgian hairs up here, when I first got them, I was told that breed doesn't win in the Minnesota or the Midwest, so why would you get that? And Bryony's predecessor, Kathy, was out judging one of our local shows, and she's like, she gave me a reserve and show, and everyone's like, that doesn't happen. And she's like, I don't know why it doesn't happen more out here. <laughs> it's so she's cool. like, this is a beautiful animal. I don't see why Jason's not winning more shows. And that kind of opened my best in show and reserve and show winning streak, is we brought that outsider in to kind of open the eyes and say, no, this is what this Belgian hair is supposed to look like. He's doing a great job. And it was From just, someone that was maybe more exposed to the breed than, than yep. people in your area because they're just not there. Correct. And, you know, I, I'm known as the guy that brings the odd stuff into Minnesota, and I I don't – I like that. So yeah, odd is great. Odd, yeah. odd, odd, non, non-popular, They you guys pay the same entry fee that everyone else does. So right. why not give them the same same caliber of show and appreciation? It's like when Bryony posted what the working standards are, and I went through, I think, the Northern Dwarfs have, is it Latino? Like, that yeah, well, Latino. Of, yeah, 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 one of those. Yeah, I was Latino, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is gorgeous. I need to get my hand on some of these, and I don't even have Northern Dwarfs in the barn yet. And I'm like, I love this. This is weird. It's got a red eye, and it's 
orange or cream. I want this. You're my kind of guy, Jason. Gosh, <laughs> we should have had this talk a long time ago. All right? <laughs> we should well, have had this our, talk a long time you're ago. You're on our short list too to get out here, so we'll be able to get to Oh, no, no. It, it just so happens that the, the barn that I, is behind my, my podcast studio happens to be full of let's know dwarfs, so you're, you're, you're singing my language. Gotcha. Well, no, I'm just saying well, you're on our short list to get out here. I appreciate judge. that. There's, so. a, there's a lot of great faces, and it's, I'm so excited that you're using uh, not only veteran faces, but also new faces, too, because these guys, I just can't, again, imagine getting your license and, and being frustrated right now, but just, like, standing still and not not going to shows and, and, and doing and applying what you've spent years to study for. So, Oh, yeah, I mean, it's not thank like, you. it's so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about going down that path about becoming a register and then, you know, ultimately becoming a judge, and I can just imagine sitting there and be like, well, that was a six years I did. Yeah. Like, now I'm <laughs> right. for hopefully another year, and will I remember everything I learned? And exactly. So oh yeah. Can... Thanks for doing that. Uh, a lot of that you know, process too is, um, you know, you should bring a good knowledge of the breeds to the table when you're working for a judge's license. Um, yeah. But not everyone gets a lot of uh, practice sorting larger classes or giving comments or things like that, and you need you need to practice those skills to keep them up. Yeah. And it's just nice to go and see a different part of the country, too, and see, you know, what a good mini Rex lives up in Minnesota looks like in the middle of June. Absolutely. Melting out. <laughs> Thawing out, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so forgot already, huh? I, 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 I don't want to remember. <laughs> I'll, I'll come and visit and, and yeah. you know, fly back to the palm trees. No, kidding. Um so the the big thing that I'm sure that you were up against with putting on shows was, was COVID. So tell us what things you had to do as a club to overcome COVID restrictions to be able to even have a show? So luckily my mom worked in the medical field for 30 years before she had me and I got her into animal showing. (laughs) So she was able to call some of her resources and see what we needed. And then we worked with our fairgrounds and said, this is what we're going to do. And then they implemented pretty much our procedures to the rest of the people that wanted to have stuff at the at the fairground. So like, you know, we made sure that there was a line on the table that, you know, you had to step back six feet. Only two people were allowed to be working on the other opposite side of the judge to keep rabbits contained. So you didn't have the hoverers standing there, you know, 30 people crowded around a table trying to keep the rabbits in. So we only allowed two people. We didn't allow pictures with judges. We just try to do the six foot rule that you're required to do anyways with COVID. So we implemented COVID procedures and went to the local government and they were fine with it. And then we went to the fairgrounds with it and they were fine with it. And then they implemented our procedures to all their other groups coming in. And those were your first shows that your club put on? Yeah. So your first shows were quite possibly the the hardest to pull off that you'll hopefully ever have to do. So 60 days, we formed a club and got a show during COVID and rabbit virus. And learned how to do it in a pandemic. Yeah. And yeah. made it all sound easy. Amazing. Yeah, right? Yeah. It didn't, <laughs> and, uh, and doable. And doable. I mean, if we can do it with a bunch of, like, I would call, a bunch of us are four-year wonders. Like, you know, we're still in the four-year beginning rabbit breeders where you're still, everything's lucky and go happy. So, the, I mean, the honeymoon stage. Wonders, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, a bunch of four-year wonders can put this together. Anybody can put this together. And like I said, I'm always available to be reached out to for anybody in the hobby that can walk you through the process. I think you're going to be a great mentor and an inspiring force um, for those that are listening in our industry. How could people reach out to you? I know that uh, Brian had mentioned that you put on Facebook, like, hey, if 
you guys want to put on shows and you're part of the country, contact me. How can how can members get a hold of you if, you, if they want some advice on how to go about creating a rabbit and Katie show during these COVID times? I'm on Facebook at you know Jason Karwaski. My last name is K-A-R-W-O-S-K-I. Or they can email me at jason.karwaski at gmail.com and I will take I will sit there and hold your hand the whole way through if you know Step one is recruiting six members, and you need me my help to try to find six members. I will start emailing and Facebooking people all over your part of the country to help you out. You are a force. Thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. Very like inspiring said, leadership. Our hobby. Let's take care of it. Yeah, because you've seen what happens in poultry, and that was, you know, like the precursor to why you got in rabbits. And and by the way, what happened with poultry shows back then during the the bird flu? When there weren't shows. They shut down. So in pigeons, we had six shows going on a year, and now we're down to two or three, and they're really small. So even though bird flu is over, like a long time ago, the end result was there's not a lot of, not a lot standing. No. And then, you know, I judge poultry for county fairs. And before that, I was judging, you know, I'd be there for eight hours judging. I'm lucky now if I'm there for two hours judging poultry wow. pigeons. So you knew going into this, like, hey, we got to stop this. We got to squelch this before it, yep. it it gets to what you've already seen. Yeah. You know, there was that movement with some of our members about the show should stop for a year. And I was like, no, no, no this is no line. We're not putting that line down. Nope. Mm-mm. I think that any, anyone that wants to and, and perseveres as hard as you do to put on shows right now, you guys are like our heroes. I mean, seriously, um, because you're you're keeping that not we talk about, you know, discouraged judges, but. What about the person that got into rabbits or cavies during that during this time? Like, oh. are they going to stick around after this and be like, "Hey, I want to do this. Like, this was a lot of fun." Uh, well, you know, if you're in that, so. if you're in that phase of your life where you've been doing it for too long and you're like, "This was really nice for my," I don't have to do this anymore. You know, my weekends are back to mine. But after a year and a half, you're like, "Oh, I miss my rabbit friends. I want the hobby to still be here for those people." Yeah, yeah. You know, local shows are. We all want to win convention and we all want to go to convention, but without that local show, there is no convention. You got it. Yeah. Maybe the, one of the questions that Brian, like Brian and I like to ask um, people is, you know, what, what's your perfect show? And I think that I, I, I may be taking your words, but maybe the perfect, perfect show for you is one that people are going to. Yeah. That's the perfect show. If you can you know, get people and get them going and keep them, that's the best show. And then. I would almost call it like a gateway, you know, let's get them into a local show and maybe they'll start doing well. And then they'll want to go to one of those destination shows that we talked about before. And then, you know, they're going to convention and then they go to college and they're like, you know what? I really miss rabbits. I can't wait to get done with college. And I want to go back to it because I came back to it after 15 years. Yeah. It's always going to be there. Yep. I always want to make sure it's there. Absolutely. You know, and even those who don't pick rabbits back up again, they're always a great ambassador for the hobby. You know, I've heard yeah. of so many people that, that don't get into rabbits, but they have a friend whose kid's in 4-H, and they help them get started. You know, they're they're always a good voice for the hobby. Exactly right. You want to make I, sure that they leave happy, that they want to send someone back to it. And I bet some of the people, that some of those mentors that you talked about, those old-timers, those veterans that you, you called upon to – you know, judge for you at the last minute when you're like, okay, who's got a license in the, in the eight hour radius. Right. Um, I bet not, a, not all of them were still raising rabbits, but were they still willing to be there and, and take part? Yes. Yeah. I, I had very few no's. The only time I had a no was I had someone that was, was having their daughter's wedding and she's like, well, maybe I can come afterwards. Like, no, <laughs> in true rabbit spirit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll come after the reception. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Pretty we were great. still there, so we could have used them. But. <laughs> <laughs> but 
<laughs> hey, you know what? We started with talking about weddings at conventions. Maybe wedding at the rabbit show. If that gets if that gets a judge in the in the door yeah. during these we'll times, we'll host your wedding. Yeah, whatever it takes. <laughs> I love it. Uh, give us a plug again for that for your upcoming shows and uh, where they're at, please. So our upcoming shows are going to be May fifteenth and June twelfth, and they're both going to be in Stillwater, Minnesota, at our Washington County Fairgrounds. And that's right off of 94 if you are an interstate person. So you can come over from Wisconsin and you basically take your second or third right and you're going to be right there. And you have a big, I mean, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Dakotas, there are a lot of people up there that are showing rabbits. I mean, there was a convention there for God's sakes in 2010. So the interest is is real. So there's no reason why you can't have a destination show and why people can't prosper on on all your hard work. No, I mean, my fairgrounds is willing to work with me every year on making them bigger and better. So cool. Yeah. It's nice to par- partner with people that want to see something get bigger. Yeah. It's inspiring. Thank you very much for everything you've done and uh, taking the time out to talk to all of us about not only just putting on a show, but then starting a club and starting clo- shows during <laughs> something we've never seen before in our lifetime, which is this terrible COVID thing. So yeah, I mean, really we're really appreciate anniversary of stopping the curve and we're still, you know, dealing and here with we it. go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, You're persevering you. through. Very much, Jason. I mean, I know this is going to be inspirational for a lot of people, and I'm sure you're going to get some messages and some emails. Yeah, no problem. If anybody has any questions, you can send them my way anytime. Awesome. Thank you for your time. The overall theme on this, shows can happen. You can do it. You can follow government regulations on COVID. You can start a club in 60 days, pull it off, and <laughs> yep. and and be a destination show, which your group has certainly done. So. Hats off to you guys for doing this. Um, we look forward to seeing those results, those show results, which are somewhat bleak these days on Facebook uh, coming up. And so thanks for, for all you've done. No problem. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, thank Got you. Anytime. No problem. So I can sign off now? I'm good? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or you can hang out. It's okay. Yeah, hang out with us. All right, yeah. I'll hang out. Okay. Yeah, hang fun. out. We got, we got one or two more little things to do. So. All right. All right, cool. Uh, okay, Brian, go ahead. Um, so we we're talking a little bit earlier about the standard and changes to it. Um, and I thought I would give people a little bit of information about that process because there are always some questions when we get a new standard is how does this happen? You know, how did that happen? Um, so the basic process to change an existing standard, it can happen one of two ways. Um, we can have some of those overarching changes that are implemented by the ARBA standards committee and approved by the board, like the minimum weights, the broken patterns, um, things of that nature. Um, and those end up applying to all breeds. Um, sometimes the breed club, depending on the issue, gets some say in it, um, like with the um, minimum weights. I know there were some breeders that wanted it, or some breed clubs that maybe wanted it a little bit higher than the absolute minimum um, threshold that we gave them because they felt it was better for the breed. So we definitely do consider those um those sources of input. The other way and the more common way is that a change in the standard originates with the breed club itself. Um, In order for this to happen, the National Breed Club president appoints a standards committee of at least five members. And for this upcoming standard in 2026 to 2020, we're actually going to start work pretty soon on on this, even though we just uh, published and are beginning to sell a new one. Um, So this um, committee has to be in place no later than January 1st of 2022. Um, and some breeds, this is a standing committee. There's, you know, no appointment required. Maybe just a little bit of refresh in the membership list. Um, but for clubs that don't have a standing committee, um, it's, it's it's time to start thinking about that. Um, it's so crazy then the to club- think about that. Like, even though you've just done all this work to publish this book, that you're already five years ahead thinking about the next one. 
Yeah, it never ends. It never ends. We've already got some ideas. Um, and these ideas for proposed changes um, can generate with the club or sometimes they are um, suggested by the ERBA Standards Committee. Um, I have heard a rumor that this may happen again. Um, there are some things that we're looking at just cleaning up grammar and making some things more consistent throughout, not necessarily really even substantive changes, just cleaning up wording. Um, so those can either come from the breed committee or they can be, you know, suggested and considered by suggested by the ARBA standards committee and then considered by the breed club. Um, they talk about that and then they put these changes to the membership for a vote. Um, it's recommended that before they're put to a vote, you know, you consult with the ARBA standards committee. Part of the reason for that is because once the changes are submitted to us, the ones that have been approved by the club, we kind of have to take them or leave them. Um, we can make, you know, some very minor grammatical edits. We can make undercolor one word instead of two. We can add a comma here or there. Um, but as far as anything else, it, it's a wholesale change. And there are some that we didn't approve last time because they included some, you know, non-standard wording. And we felt, no, that's, that we're not sure people are going to understand that. And had those clubs, you know, kind of conferred with us ahead of time, we could have helped them present something that would have been acceptable. Um, so I definitely encourage clubs to do that. Get in touch with us. Um, let us help you. I love, then, that's a great message though, by the way. And that kind of resonates to what, what Jason said about being involved in a, in a local club. Like, you know, any breeder can, can submit input. Any club can submit input to the Air Bay Standards Committee to, to, to take, Hey, how do, you, how do you feel about cleaning up this or that? Like, it's not some kind of, uh, secret society that that the Air Bay Standards Committee um, runs like it, it's a transparent, it's a very open and an evolving group. Correct? Right, absolutely. Um, and, and we listen. We keep our ears open through the year. Um, we we listen and pay attention to you know what are some issues going on with a breed. Is there the the purpose of the standard? One of the things that we intend to do is to have it evolve through the years um, to require more and more of our animals. We should be consistently improving. Um, you know, that's the point of it, to consistently improve. And if we're noticing that there's something in a breed that's really improving, we may want to write that in. Or, you know, um, so we want to make it accessible, but we also want to make it aspirational. It's one of the biggest differences between us and other livestock museums. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, I mean, I show Angora goats, okay? Well, they have a standard. But when I go to these livestock shows, I'm shocked to find out that some breeds of cattle don't even have a written standard and it's like whatever's made up that year or whatever trends going on and, and rabbits and cavies like our standard we, we joke and we call it our bible but it's something that evolves but it, it is also um very concrete and it gives us a model to to to, to move forward as breeders and judges uh and and our industry i mean it, it is our it is our biggest asset i oh. didn't realize that we as a breeders can have an input in our standard until like the last year or two. And every other thing I've ever been in, it was like a judge's click that was able to choose. So that's really cool that newbie like me could, you know, make a petition to Brining and be like, Hey, I don't like the way this word's written or I don't like the way these <laughs> yeah, I, legs are. Is there a way we can fix this? And you can be like, Oh, let me look into it. I didn't realize we could do that as a breeder. Yeah. Um, some breeders do. Um, most things do go through the breed club standards committee. Um, but that's definitely something that could be suggested to them or, but again, you know, we listen, um, we listen to what's going on. Uh, now we're not necessarily going to listen to things that, um, loosen the standard up. Um, you know, say somebody doesn't like that the mini Rex have a maximum ear length. We're probably not going to be real open to increasing that. 
um, because it's it's pretty obvious that those rabbits that cross the maximum are lack balance. Um, but yeah, things that that improve the breed, we're definitely open to talking about that with the breed clubs. So after these proposals are put together um, by the breed club standards committee, they go to the breed club for a vote. Um, they only have to receive a simple majority. And then that ballot and those results um, go to the standards committee chair. Um, for this cycle, it's no later than June 30th of 2024. And then um, the chair will submit those to the standards committee. We review those changes. We debate about them a little bit. And then we vote on them. Uh, they have to receive a two-thirds majority in the ARBA standards committee to be considered. Um, so anything that doesn't receive that majority vote is pretty much dead in the water. It doesn't go onto the board. So we, you know, approve what we think needs to be approved. We deny some things and then um, we give that to the board for their final approval. Everything in the standard is subject to final approval by the ARBA board of directors. Um, there is a policy to ask the standards committee to reconsider um, perhaps a rejected change. There's a deadline for that. Um, there's some kind of evidence required. Um, there's some possible new, you know, you can submit new wording that doesn't change the intent of the original proposal. Um, so you can, you know, if the club doesn't like the standards committee decision, they can appeal that. However, that's a pretty tight time process. So we really suggest that you just avoid dealing with those wording problems to begin with, um, because that's a lot of work to do in a short period of time. So again, we submit these. Um, they are submitted and will probably be voted on at the convention in 2024. And then we'll get to work on putting the new edition together and doing all the proofing and editing and all of that fun stuff, selecting photos. So, it's it's yeah. so much. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's, it's a real nod to the fact that our rabbit and caving industry, we're not a catatonic state. Like we are evolving all the time. And that involves um, the inclusion of literally everyone. And it's not just people that have been around forever, not veterans, not judges. Like if, if you want to be involved, you want to set up show coops, if you want to reach out to your club standards committee and say, Hey, why does it say this? You know, what does it mean to be, you know, a, um, a high point here in the body where it doesn't seem to be consistent with other breeds? Like it's okay to voice your voice, your question. And, and it starts, as you said, with those specific breed standards committees for each club. So there's 50 breeds of rabbits in, in that we recognize there's, um, one, you know, KV association, but if you have, if you're raising a, a rabbit breed and say it's a, uh, maybe Beverin, and you've got a question about the standard, like go to your, go to your standards committee, which is designated to your breed made up by breeders of, of the Beverin and say, Hey, can you, can you tell us why this is here? And, and maybe could we help you in, and maybe improving the wording like that? That's something that can be done. And it's not, it's not, um, it's not impossible to be involved in, and in, in voice your opinion. And then, it, and then it goes down the line like you just you beautifully spelled out. It's a long process, and it eventually leads up to the ARBA Standards Committee and the, ultimately the ARBA Board. But um, it starts with members talking to their to their breed clubs. Oh, absolutely. And it starts with members joining their breed clubs, yeah. um, with members studying their standard, with members trying to breed to it, with members you know considering feedback given from that standard. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a involved process. It seems kind of complicated, but really we very often look to the breeders for the genesis of this idea. You know, any judge will tell you that, you know, we may raise one or two breeds that we're really into. Um, a lot of us try to raise several breeds so we can kind of learn how they develop. So we're better able to give good comments about those breeds. 
but not many of us are going to really, really deeply, deeply know a breed um, more than a handful. And, and we know any judge will tell you the breeders, are the ones that really know that breed in and out. Um, so we rely very heavily on breed club input. Very well said. Yeah. I mean, even as we judge, we, we have a license to judge 50 breeds, but I mean, I rely on breeders all the time to like afterwards or, you know, in, you know, on, on a Wednesday, like, Hey, you know, I, how do you, how would you do this if you were judging a class of these French loves, which I've never raised, for example, and the breeders are, are at the, at the core of, of what, uh, stems change and, uh, ultimately, you know, how we all assess and judge and, and make decisions. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I've raised Dutch for 30 years. I'm fairly comfortable with them. Um, <laughs> I, I'm fairly comfortable with giving people. I turn to you for Dutch stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or, or when breeders ask, hey, which one of these should I keep? I can, you know, kind of tell you, well, you know, I think this is going to help you with this. This is going to help you with that. You know, sometimes they're rabbits that maybe aren't great show rabbits, but I think they've got some great traits for a herd. Um, and I can give that feedback, I think, from a pretty educated place. Um, but when breeders ask me, you know, I have some 10-week-old French lops. Which one should I keep? And I'm like, oh, I've yeah, never uh, raised French lops. Um, but, you know, there's somebody that has. And I would ask French lop breeders stand up, please? Yeah. Right. <laughs> because they can give you such better feedback on this. You know, judges, we are trained to evaluate animals that are ready to show on that day. Um we only really become good at culling those very few breeds that we raise for a long time. Again, and, and also a nod to those that want to become judges and uh, more active in the industry at, at a higher level to raise other breeds. You know, it may be even for a year or two or maybe even less, but, you know, get your hands on some other breeds to really come from a, a, as a, at a breeder perspective, which is really um, at the heart of it, uh, the ultimate test of understanding a breed versus all of us that have licenses. <laughs> you know, that's what the express interest in becoming a register and a judge. And that's what I'm trying to do right now is trying to raise some different breeds. So I feel more comfortable when I get down to that judge thing. It's not the worst to bring your rabbit up to a judge. And he's like, Oh, I've only raised, you know, New Zealand's my whole life. I've never raised anything else. And you're like, and now you're going to judge my Belgian hair, my Britannia petite. <laughs> we all do our best. I'm going to, it's always nice when that judge will come up to you and say, Hey, you know, I, I got done judging that. Is there any way you can go over Britannia petites or Belgians with me? Yeah. That's I feel cool. more comfortable next time. And I think that's really cool. What our hobby can do is help. But I definitely think what you were saying before is if you're going to be going down the judge line, you should try to raise a something for a year or two and see what it is to put like a good shoulder on a French lop or a good crown or whatever. I'm going to tell you, Jason, I I had Belgian hairs at one time, that solid floor thing. Okay. It lasted about a year. Okay. Thank you very much. They're beautiful and I would love to judge them, but, (laughs) but I walked away from it going, wow. Raising Belgian Harris—that's not for the weak at heart. Like no, got that's what I tell everyone. Work. I said, "Why don't you come over and help me clean?" Belgian yeah, exactly. You come and clean my coops, and then we'll talk about yeah. uh, then we'll uh, talk assessing about my litters. We'll set you up with the pair afterwards. You're like, we're yeah. good. <laughs> exactly. Well, I Very have funny. a Belgian hair, <laughs> and hey, he's not too difficult to clean up after. Um, but, but you but, certainly yeah. got you, you get practice posing them, right? And that's just—they're they're so unique in that regard. So even if you just have one, it it. There's a certain significance in it, right? We you just had a judge up here get into kind of checker giant, so she would become more comfortable. Nice, because, you know that's the big ferocious breed of our hobby. Supposedly. Well, and you have a lot of them up there in the in the upper yeah. Midwest. So it was kind of nice when she came up to us and said, "You know, I want to get a checker giant, so I get better at handling." And we're like, "Here you go." I judged those checker giants at the Iowa State Fair once. There were only like 35, but I had never judged more than like one or two as a novelty. <laughs> you know, the breed has one or two out here, and I remember. 
at Iowa, they have these, uh, those coops. I don't even know how to describe them or, or if there's a name for them, but they're like individual, um, individual carriers are made of wire and they kind of sit on the rabbit. Well, yeah. I swear, Iowa, I'm like, Iowa state fair is never going to have me back. Cause there were rabbits moving all over the table and they had the coops on top of them. And, Lord, I mean, it was it was a challenging day. It was, it was like, like a, you know, moving Christmas present, not wrapped. A moving, yeah. But there were except there were like a whole class of black senior bucks. I mean, it was it was very embarrassing. But yeah, which so, one did I like the best? Yeah, oops. Yeah. yeah, so having even one or two in your barn will will make that. I've yeah. never raised checker giants, but it'll make that that experience when you go to the Upper Midwest or wherever checker giants, for example, are being judged and raised in, in plural amounts, make it a little bit less little less ominous and and foreign. Exactly. I called Very those cool. the uh, shell game carriers because they remind <laughs> me of those little carnival <laughs> games. That's what I was thinking of, like, what is it called? But yeah, it is a shell game. <laughs> well, I was trying to think of a tune. I'm like, Christmas present. Um, I, As I opposed think to the like, whack-a-mole carriers with the open tops or the yes. whack-a-mole coops. Oh, gosh. A home oh. up Pennsylvania State Convention in the middle of February when the does <laughs> come out and they haven't felt heat, like warm. They haven't felt a warm temperature in, in four months. And they're like popcorn. They're open to <laughs> yeah. middle class. And they're just like, oh, like, breed me, please. And there's no tops on the coops. Oh my God, that was another day. Yeah. You're snatching them out of the air. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, I just had those in order. Uh, not anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, anything else, uh, Bryony, from your standard side? That was, was a really great synopsis of, you know, what it means to to have a standard, what it means to make changes in the standard, and, and really the lengthy process that goes into it, beginning from breeder level to a breed standards committee all the way up to the ARBA standards committee and beyond. Yeah, um, I would just encourage everyone to purchase a new standard and read these guidelines. There's actually a graphic that's been put together. It shows a timeline um, to making changes to standard. And then one little thing, I got a great suggestion from Uno Kiwi yesterday. Um, The last part of this is talks about dropping breeds and varieties from the standard. There must be at least 25 per breed per variety to remain in the standard. Um, The only variety that has been dropped during my time in rabbits was the blue silver fox um but that he asked you know did we have numbers could we maybe publish them on the website so i thought that's a really good idea so we start a new count this year with convention so every year after convention um we're going to post at least a list of those breeds and varieties that haven't hit that 25 threshold so So clubs and breeders and everyone has that information at their fingertips that's That's so cool because yeah you know we've heard this over the years like People are like, oh, I need to get into this breed because I, I feel like they're endangered and they're not going to be around anymore if we don't meet these minimum numbers, which is that 25 um, per convention. So having that transparent on the website, that's brilliant. Great, yeah. great suggestion from Uno and, and to you for, you know, making that making that transparent and, and accessible by anyone that goes to the, to the ARB website. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Has, has there ever been a breed dropped? Not during my time. It has happened. Um, okay. I joined in the early nineties and I'm, I know it's happened. Um, but not since then, not in the past 30 years. <laughs> I think the last was, was the Alaska. And again, it was before my time too. I, I think I was like, maybe I, I think I may have been in my mom's womb at the time. It was a long time ago, but it, it doesn't Vienna? happen regularly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, was it a blue Vienna? Yeah. Yeah. There used to be a breed called the blue Vienna too. Okay. Well, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. have to ask some of yeah. our uh, more experienced breeders on some, get some veterans on here. Yeah. Tell us yeah. about that. that Didn't I see on your new thing that blue silver fox are trying to make a comeback then? Uh, yeah, they have applied for a COD. There have actually been several rounds of presentations. Um, okay. So yeah, we're, we're hoping that this time will be the charm because there's a lot of people that have them and, you know, promotes interest in the breed. Yeah. Always does. Absolutely. All right, guys, I think that's good for today, right? 
episode oh, yeah. one. Well, thank yeah. you again, Jason. This has been a great education for everybody out there. And it was good, Jason, to have you on here um, beyond your wisdom and all of your force to get shows going during a really hard time during COVID. Uh, but to also share your your perspective as a as a a four year veteran, you know, someone that's newer into the industry and that wants to go on to get a, a license and to be, you know, kind of maybe awoken about, hey, it's not impossible to to be involved. And I think that that's the overriding theme here tonight is that, you know, if you want to be involved, you want to see stuff happen, you want to see shows happen, like, hey, ask someone, hey, what can I do at the next show? You know, even if it's as simple as staying at home and monitoring a Facebook page for for a club, like that's a lot of work. And uh, I mean. <laughs> I can't tell you how many Facebook pages I've, I've monitored over the years and it becomes so overwhelming. So even something as simple as, you know, answering some emails and inbox um, on a Facebook page for a club that will help take away burden from someone else in the club that can then put their energies towards, uh, you know, uh, even something bigger, like, like figuring out how you're going to pay for your judges or, or hiring judges. So, you know, get involved and it's, it's totally okay. It's not only okay, but um, we would love it even more. So, you know, let your voice be heard and send an email chat with one of us at a show. Like, Hey, what can I do next to, to make this hobby and industry even better? Yeah. Just jump in with both feet. All right, guys, I think we're good for episode four. Again, thank you, Jason, for joining Brian and I today on uh, tonight on best in show, this podcast dedicated to the rabbit and KV industry. And, uh, Oh, go ahead. I said, check our Facebook page. I never heard what the Facebook page was called. Well, we will be dropping that uh, link to our Facebook page for the Best in Show um, in the uh, marketing of this once we get okay. get, uh, get it on, yeah. the, on Facebook. So, yeah. That's By the time we launch, we'll have one. <laughs> yeah, you got it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening in. Um, again, remember, go home. Even during these trying times, talk rabbits, talk KVs. It's it's what we love, and it's going to keep us going even in these in these dark, dark days. And we're all going to get back together very, very soon doing what you love and uh and if there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a gray area in between, head up up to the to Minnesota in the upper Midwest and go to one of Jason Jason's shows that he and his club have worked so hard to to put on. Those are destination shows, and I love that saying by the way. So it's it's really great. Um, have a great rest of your day or evening wherever you're listening to uh, in the world. Bye bye. We'll talk again soon. While this podcast would not be possible without the American Rabbit Breeders Association, it does not constitute an official communication of the association. The information, viewpoints, and opinions expressed herein are those of the hosts and our guests and are not endorsed by the ARBA. To learn more about the ARBA, please visit www.arba.net.